Even evil against evil, God's in charge. Even the rising up of evil, God's in charge. That seven years is so in hand. God sits over it all. God in charge. Amen. Well, hey, we're fired up to be able to rally together to make much of Jesus Christ. Man, that is why the church gets together. And all of God's people said, man, it is all about Jesus Christ. So whether you're rallying here in person or joining us online, man, we are excited to be able to make much of him. May Christ get all the glory. So we're in a series here called The Thunderous Sevens and the Copycat. The Thunderous Sevens and the Copycat. We're walking through Revelation 4 through 19. I can't believe we're already like in week nine of this series. It's just flying by here. And so we're looking at that final seven years that is to come. Everybody say final seven years. The final seven years and then Christ comes and some of the details behind it and all that's going into it. We've seen God's handiwork in it, the thunderous sevens all over the place, right? Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven years. We're seeing the sevens all over the place as God's handiwork is seen in it. We've seen Satan and his work in it. And today we're going to see God now interacting directly with evil. We're going to see God controlling evil in the midst. We're going to see God's plan for putting sin to an end. And uh, man, praise God for that, right? All of God's people said, amen, man. That is a huge deal and a huge promise. God's like, I want you to know I sit over it all. So as we dive into this, just so we're clear, we're jumping into Revelation 17. This is a wildly, this is a lot of symbolism, wildly symbolic in this chapter, all right? And so as we walk through it, we're going to be answering what some of the symbols mean, mostly because later on he tells us exactly each of them, all right? So you can read through this where you're kind of finding out as you go, but then that requires you to have to go back and start over and read again and go, now what does that mean, right? And go through it a couple of times. So what I'm going to do is give you a couple of what the symbols mean ahead of time so that as we walk through, we know where we're at in it, all right? So first of all, this is dealing with Revelation 13. If you look back, remember Revelation 13, that was the story, the, the telling of the beast that's going to come. The seven years that's going to come where this one is going to rise up, a king, a ruler in his kingdom, he's going to take over. This beast is going to reign for a short period of time, promising a lot, guaranteeing a lot, bringing a lot of hope, letting people get whatever they want, basically along the way, kind of filling that in. And then he's going to lose what looks like his life. He takes a head wound. It's a seeming head wound that's killing him, but actually he then appears to come back to life. Now, it's all appears. Everybody say appears. It just looks like it. It's not it, but it seems like he just rose from the dead. And all of a sudden, he gets a lot of people following him, like with all the seals going on and even the beginning of the trumpets and all the death. They're like, we need somebody who can guarantee us what we want and life. And so we're seeing a lot of that go on here. We're ending up seeing then the beast saying, that's right, you can come to me, and then you can worship me. And he starts to demand worship of himself alone, and anything else gets put down. Don't forget that, because that's going to be a huge part of what we see in Revelation 17 today, that piece. And then in Revelation 16, we see at the seventh bowl, as the Father unleashes the final of the wrath right? As that gets sent out, it is the worst earthquake ever known to man. 
a hundred pound hailstones, and it says it crushes the city of great Babylon and it puts an end to those rebellions. Those two pieces are gonna be brought together in Revelation 17 today, all right? Now, just so we're super clear, brought together by a couple of extreme images. So the first image is of a great prostitute using the word there, great prostitute, somebody who is kind of enticing others in, making profit off of along the way, right? Using that metaphor. And the great prostitute, it equals idolatry in the whole world. You're like, I think you're making that up. Hang on, you'll see it when we get in the passage. He says exactly that. The mother of all abominations, the mother of all idolatry, that's all she represents. All things for selfishness and idolatry and evil, okay? It's all about idolatry. Everybody say idolatry. Now you know who she is, okay? So that's idolatry in every front, in any way, okay? That's the first of the symbols. And then the second symbol is of a beast with seven heads and ten horns. Hopefully you've heard that before, right? That's back in Revelation 13 as well. Seven heads, ten horns. We just went through that a couple weeks ago. That's the image of who is going to rise up. And six of the heads, it'll talk about them today, are past historical, and one is future coming, partnering together with ten other rulers. That's the ten horns. So we have the seven-headed, ten-horned beast, the beast that is to come, and we've got the great prostitute that's really just idolatry and all sin. That's what's coming together. We got it? Looking for a little head nod. We got it? Okay, good. Here we go. All right, so let's dive in. We're going to jump into Revelation chapter 17, uh, starting right away at verse 1 here. But point number one, don't marvel at the great harlot. Some of your translations say harlot, and uh, quite frankly, I like saying that word better than prostitute. I don't, I'll leave it at that. Don't marvel at the great harlot, the world's replacement for Jesus. Worship Jesus without distraction. Uh, don't marvel at the great harlot, all right? That's our call out. Don't get enamored with sin and selfishness. Don't get drawn into idolatry. And all of God's people said, right? This is kind of a no-duh, but let's just walk through it. Here we go. It says, then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls uh, who had the seven bulls, came and said to me, come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls. So we don't know which one. Maybe it's the seventh one, the last one, the one that unleashed it where it destroyed great Babylon there. Maybe it's that one. We don't know. But this is one of the seven uh, who had the bulls there. And uh, it says, uh, the angel said, come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. Now, I'm just telling you, this is the first time we've seen that phrase within Revelation. John had to be like, he just watched all the bulls get unleashed. And then he has an angel say, do you want to see how the great prostitute gets destroyed? John had to be like, the great what? Like, I... That's not brought up. He doesn't know either. And so he would be finding out as he unveils it walking through here as well. I tipped you off to what it is so that we know a little bit ahead of time of what we're talking about. The idolatry of all things, the drawing in and enticing to any sin anywhere. But he's like, do you want to see how sin starts coming to an end? That's really what the angel's saying, all right? He's like, hey, let me show you this great prostitute who is seated on many waters. 
Just so you know, that symbol there, waters, it actually is defined in verse 15. We'll get to it in a little bit. But it just says it means all those of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's the Gentile nations, right? So this is the idolatry in all of the world, the great mother of all sin and enticement. That's what we're talking about. Okay? All right, here we go. It says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. So staying with the same metaphor, if we have a prostitute using the sexual immorality, but it really is any sin of any sort. We're going to see that come up in just a second. And with the wine of whose sexual immorality, the dwellers of earth have become drunk. The kings and the dwellers. Everybody just say, that's everyone. Right? So everybody who's not following Jesus these leaders and all, remember, dwellers of the earth, it means they're making this place home. They're like, forget a heaven and an eternity. I'm good here. The dwellers of this earth. So the unsaved, right? Everybody say unsaved. Right? So we have the unsaved and the kings, and they're being drawn in by this great harlot, this great prostitute, who's the great enticer to all things sinful. And they're being drunk on it like they love the self-absorbed treatment and the enticement that they get that comes out of interacting with her. It says, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman, everybody say that's the great prostitute. All right, how many of you thought you'd come to church today and say that phrase? <laughs> right, I'm just saying, we just have to know what we're talking about, okay? This is the same symbol, the same woman sitting on a scarlet beast, all right? that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Okay, you hearing it? So now we have the great harlot, and she's sitting on the same beast that we just saw in Revelation 13, the one who's going to rise up, take over for the seven years, dominate everything, drawing people in, giving them what they want, building some kind of peace structure, and then ultimately demanding you all worship me, riding on him. Okay? That doesn't mean she's in control. Actually, basically, it means his power, her enticement. There's a partnership going on, all right? So the power of the beast and the enticement of the great harlot, and there's this kind of pairing up that's going on as they work together. It says, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a gold cup, and she looks rich well-dressed. There's an enticement even in her beauty and all that she has. But I'm just telling you, it's more than just riches and enticement and beauty in that regard. These are actually priestly terms as well. Dressed in purple and scarlet, these colors of richness and representation of royalty, like a priest that can usher before a king. And it talks about being adorned with gold and jewels. Remember the priest and what they would wear, the 12 jewels on their prayer um, bracket on the front of their chest. And like, this is kind of a representation. She has sort of this priestly function starting to shift it over. And you clearly are seeing the spiritual innuendo in it. As she's playing a role of drawing people in to a worship of anything other than Jesus. Anything other and she's holding a golden cup, just like a priest would hold the golden cup, but the Jewish priest would have a, this holy water and the things that would be so purified, and her golden cup is full of abominations and the impurities of her idolatry, her sexual immorality. 
filled with the abominations and the horribleness of sin and walking away from God. She's a priest of all things wrong, of all things evil. She's drawing everyone to do anything but not Jesus Christ. A call to worship anywhere in the world, anything you want, just not Jesus. Everybody say anything. This is any idolatry of any sort from the smallest level to the largest level. This is like worshiping the most horrible and dark and evil things possible. This is even worshiping just power, prestige, position, title, money, just having possessions of a certain type and getting into all that, the draw that comes with it. This is any draw of any sort. This is soccer matches for your kids. Like, I can't believe he just went there. Like, be careful, man. Anything of any level where you let it start to take over and you'll worship. And if that replaces Christ, I don't care. This is what I want. Like, be careful with whatever from the smallest to the largest. She draws it in and says, you can have this. Just let go of Jesus Christ. That's who she is. This massive drawing together, even the cup full of the abominations of the impurities of all that she is about. It says, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And here's where we're getting the definition. She's the mother of all of earth's abominations. All sin spills out of her. All idolatry, all selfishness, all everything. She's the mother of it. And in fact, look at her title, Babylon the Great. So now John goes, oh, like I just heard about Babylon the Great at the end of the prior chapter. We just saw the seventh bowl as it's coming down, destroys Babylon the Great. Got it. This is God taking a hard stand against the city and against evil and against all the representation of it in the whole world. Got it. So now we have the great harlot and she's riding on the beast. And uh, let's just do this. Let's throw this image up. You have this picture in your books, but we had this drawn up. One of our artists here locally, Tim, back drew this. And, and uh, you can see the seven heads and the leopard's body. We pulled that, uh, the lion's element to it, pulled out of Revelation 13. So you've got the lion's heads. You've got the leopard's body, this beast element. You've got one of the heads that has the 10 horns on it. We're going to see more of that described in just a second. And then riding on top, you see this great harlot dressed in purple with scarlet and the pearls and the jewels and the attractive, the beauty element and the cup of abomination. This is the two of them riding together. By the way, have you ever wondered, why in the world would anybody ever worship the beast? Because this is what's going on. Massive enticement to whatever you want. And the beast using his power to deliver up. This is identity politics at its best. This is let me help you get whatever you think you need as he's rising up in the first three and a half years and the partnering together of evil and horror and selfishness and just about me. And it's so easy for us to be riding like this even today in our own world where we just get caught up in thinking about what would feel best for me. And that's all that's drawing the people in in the end. Okay, all right. It says, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs 
of Jesus. The partnership that begins to work together between the beast and this great prostitute, in the end, the last seven years, the partnership together will be, if you don't worship us, we take your life. If you don't drop Jesus, we kill you. Like the stand is, you better be done with any other idolatry is great, but not Jesus. And she partners in that. Like her role here is to say, take out real power worship. Any selfishness you want is good. Let's go after it. It says, when I saw her, this is John writing, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. He saw her beauty. He saw the wealth and the riches. He saw the amazing jewels and gold. He saw the cup of gold. He saw all the awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, drawing-you-in attractiveness of her. It says, but the angel, I love this, but the angel said to me, Dude, why do you marvel? Like this is a moment, I think he may have even said it harshly. Why do you marvel? Like, stop, knock it off. I'm not showing her so you get attracted to it. Let me show you something more. He says, I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast and the seven heads and the 10 horns that carries her. He's like, listen to me. You're getting drawn into what looks attractive, but there's something that's gonna come with these and you need to know what the end is. This is no good. Stop being jaw dropped and marveling at her. And all too often, sin can be so attractive in our lives, right? Don't leave me standing up here, right? Yeah. It just does, draws in. There's a guy, he was going on a trip with his family and uh, they had a little child with them. Their child fell asleep to a, a little soft bear and uh, loved this bear, fell asleep and slept with it every night. It was like the miracle working bear and all of God's parents said, right? <laughs> And so they had this miracle working bear and they get on the trip and it gets to the first night and they're in the hotel, forgot the bear. Bear's left at home. This is gonna be a nightmare trip. And the child is crying and the dad doesn't know what to do and he goes out for a walk to think and as he's walking along trying to figure out where can he go and what, how could he find something, like nothing replaces this. He ends up seeing this like nasty roadkill on the road and he kind of steps over it and there's like maggots and flies and all that. But he actually notices it looks like kind of a soft raccoon. <laughs> so he goes back to his car and he gets a shovel and he comes over and he scoops it up and he goes into the hotel room and he just nestles it right up to his little one and says, there you go, baby, that'll be soft. Dude, how often is that with us, with sin? Where we see the soft, but that's gonna feel so good. But man, can you imagine what that'll... And we ignore the maggots and the flies and the nasty. And John looked at this amazing woman in front of him and started to marvel. And the angel went, she isn't that soft, dude. Look at the maggots and the flies. <laughs> See it all. Man, sin gets so easily entangling to us. What sin are you so drawn to? Why does it look soft to you? What are you looking at that draws you in? There's something drawing you. What's the payoff, right? Sin pays off, 
let's be honest. There's a moment of some feel good. What is it that pays off? What's paying off for you in that sin? Got it? Next question. What are the maggots and the flies along with it? What is the horror and the evil and the terrible, terrible side of walking away from Jesus in it? Make sure you get that together. Men, may we make decisions that worship Jesus Christ and set aside the sin, the junk. And all of God's people said, that's the battle cry. May we not marvel at the sin offered up by Satan and his powers. May we truly be in awe of Jesus Christ and set down the sin. Make sure you got that sin listed in your head. Don't walk away without it. What am I getting done today? Okay. Point number two, worship. Worship the King of Kings who is moving even when it appears that evil is winning the day. Worship the King of Kings who is moving even when it appears that evil is winning the day. We keep going with the story now and he's going to unveil a little bit about the beast. He says, the beast that you saw, remember the one with seven heads and ten horns, right? The beast that you saw was, is not, and is about to be. Was, like, was alive, is not. Like, so we're in this moment where the beast is no longer appearing to be alive, is not, and is about to be, is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. This is probably most likely, and we'll see in just a moment, the marvel that comes with it. This is probably speaking of when the beast takes the head wound, appears to die, but then comes back up. And he's like, we're right at that spot. This is transition moment. This is where the partnership starts to take place in massive ways. And he's like, this beast appears to lose his life, come back. It says, and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life. Notice that, not been written in the book of life. All too often in John, in uh, Revelation, John writes of those who are not going to be saved, name not written in the book of life, like God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. All right, and so the ones who are not going to be saved and they are not saved, name not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. They're gonna be in awe. They're going to marvel. In fact, in Revelation 13, you see that exactly said. They marvel at the fact that he seems to die and come back to life. There seems to be life and power of life in him. And with all the death we see going on around, we'll lean on him. And there's this massive draw that comes. And it looks bad and it looks grim. Everybody just say, but God's in charge. And I agree with you. God is in charge. It says here uh, next, this calls for a mind with wisdom. What comes next? And you're like, that didn't call for wisdom so far, right? This calls for a mind with, everybody just kind of, all right, get ready for it. Move your head around, whatever you need to do. Take a little breath for a moment. You ready? Here we go. We're going to dive in. This calls for a little bit of wisdom. Here we go. The seven heads, how many heads? Okay, the seven heads are seven mountains in which the woman is seated, all right? So there's seven mountains that this represents, but we'll keep going. It says, they are also seven kings. 
Now, some will see the seven mountains and they'll say, I think this may represent that it's somehow attached to Rome. It was called the city of seven hills. And uh, there's a possibility of that. I will tell you, though, it tells you right after it how to get more specific. They're kings. So we have kings. We have rulers over it, these seven kings and their kingdoms, all right? So the seven heads of the beast are seven kings and kingdoms. It says... Five of them, picture I'm John now at the time of John and I'm writing this, okay? Five of them have fallen. Everybody say it's over. So five of them are done. One of them, at the time of John, it says, and one is. So at the time of John going on, probably the Roman kingship and all that was going on with Domitian, right? So now we'll go way out into the future to the final seven years, looking backwards. So six of them are done. One is still to come, okay? One is still to come. And it says, and the other has not yet come. This is going to be the one in the final seven years. So six that are done, one that's future for the final seven years. That same one is the one that has the 10 horns on it. That same beast is the one talked about in Daniel chapter 7. That beast there and the 10 horns and all the rulership that goes with it. It says, this one has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. He must, everybody say must, because God's in charge. He's been given seven years and that's the end of it. That's short for a leader, man. Seven years and that's the end. So we have this seven-headed beast, six that are past, one that's future coming, and it's going to be a short-term reign. Seven years and that's it. Okay? Super clear with it. We there? You tracking me? All right. A lot of symbolism in this one, right? And you're seeing it, but he's given us the understanding. This is what I love. When God, when you see symbolism in Revelation, most of the time he's like, and then there were seven heads. Those are seven kings. Like he helps you out, man. He gives you the understanding of it. Just let it be what it says, right? It says, as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. Like somehow out of the seventh one, right, he rises up into leadership. Almost going to act like an eighth one, but he comes out of the seventh, right? So out of the seventh head, he's going to rise up. Daniel 7 tells you he's going to be the 11th horn, the little horn. And you see him rising up out of that. So this beast, he ends up being an eighth that comes up and it goes to destruction. Let's just summarize it. Jesus wins. And all of God's people said, he's like, just so we're clear, that beast is rising up and it looks bad and it looks like things are going to go sideways, but I'm telling you, God wins. Don't sweat it. God's got this in hand. It says, and the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings. How many horns? Okay, and they're representing kings, right? So horns represent kings or rulers. There's going to be these 10 kings that work together with them. These 10 kings who have not yet received royal power. So at the time of John, he's like, they're future as well. You've got this head and these 10 horns, and they're coming future. In the final seven years, that's what we have coming up. And it says, are the 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour. Everybody say, that's short. 
Dude, they're going to get some kind of power, but they're giving it away, and we're going to see it right after it. For one hour, together with the beast, they're partnering together. The one head of the beast and the ten horns, that's why we put them one on top of each other in the picture we drew. It says, these are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. The ten rulers end up saying, okay, okay, you're in charge. We'll let you reign. And I'm just going to tell you, we're going to talk a lot more about the beast on Wednesday night in the class we're going after. We're going to kind of bring these together with some other passages and see a little bit of how that might come together, all right? So we'll be talking about that this Wednesday night and kind of rolling those pieces out. But the reality is there's going to be 10 rulers, and they're going to be partnering with this beast, and they're going to be coming together and working together. And as they work along the way, somehow the beast is going to be like more influential, more appreciated, more powerful in some way. And the other 10 are like, you know what, never mind. We'll let you lead. We'll support you. So you're going to see 10 rulers that hand it over. That's what's coming in the end times rulership, as stated in Revelation 17. It says they hand it over for one hour. These are of one mind, and they hand it over to the beast as they agree with him. So let's just do this. Let's throw the pick back up just to remind us, okay? And so again, we see the great harlot on top, the drawer of all things idolatrous, just anything that feels good, anything about you, anything away from Jesus. And the beast under it, vicious, nasty. Six of those heads are historical, but one that's coming future to rise up, 10 rulers with it, 10 horns on top, this is the one coming. That head with the 10 horns is coming in the future, and they will partner together. That's all he's saying. Okay? Feel like we got it? All right. That's a lot of imagery, but it looks like we got it down. He says, just so you know, they will make war on the lamb. They're going to come after all of those who follow Jesus Christ and try to tear it down. I love this. The angel's like, and the lamb will conquer them. He doesn't even get a full sentence. He's just like, and they lose. Like, it's that simple. You need to know Jesus Christ wins. Christ will return as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will rule over all. Jesus wins. Jesus beats sin. Amen, man. Amen. Jesus is victorious over death. He is victorious over sin. He is victorious over the beast. It's a look-alike. It's a comedy. This doesn't win. God has a plan. God's in charge, and Jesus Christ wins. And all of God's people said, Amen. bit of worship that we can take in it. He says, and the Lamb will conquer. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with him are called, ready? We are called and chosen and faithful. Those who are with him, called, chosen, faithful. Those are powerful words about those following Jesus Christ. Huge, huge deal. And again, we'll put more of this together on Wednesday night, just understanding a little bit more about the beast. But here's the huge deal. Man, even in the midst of all that's going on, even in the midst of evil partnering with evil and one rising up and 10 more agreeing, even as you see that happening, know this, God's still in charge. Guarantee he wins. When you're like, that governor for that state again? Just know, 
God's in charge and God knows what he's doing. Hang on. And all of God's people said, Man, we trust in our king and we know what he's doing. And there's moments where he might need to let something rise up, but God is bringing this to a close. He knows exactly what he's doing. May we worship and praise the king who is the king of kings and Lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. May he get all the praise, all right? Point number three, celebrate. Celebrate that God is so in charge that he will cause evil to destroy evil. We will hear fallen is Babylon the great, and it will be at the hands of the beast. And that is a huge sentence. Celebrate that God is in charge. He is so in charge that he's going to cause evil to destroy evil. Now watch how it all unfolds. Remember, you have the great harlot drawing to anything but Jesus. You have the beast in all of his power. Here we go. It says, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. There's the definition. Remember we said the great prostitute sitting across many waters, sitting across all the Gentile nations, right? We see it def- defined here, all the nations and languages. It says, and the 10 horns that you saw They and the beast will hate the prostitute. I'm just telling you, the first few times that I read through Revelation years back, this part is when I went, I'm done. I'm totally confused. (laughs) Now I have bad guys against bad guys. I must not understand who the bad guys are. What am I missing? And I'm just telling you, if you're seeing it as bad guy against bad guy, you're seeing it correctly. All of a sudden, the beast who has the harlot riding on top of him, his power enabling and and giving capability and ability to her ends up turning on and hating her. What is this talking about? In the last half of Revelation 13, when the beast starts to rise up, he says, you will worship me. You will not worship anything else, me. The prostitute is drawing to all things, not Jesus. The beast is drawing to one thing, not Jesus. The prostitute is saying, come to all of this. And the beast says, none of that is acceptable anymore. Just me. The beast and the ten horns begin to demand a worship of the beast only. Let me put this into other words. So think of somebody who is committed to a massive, horrible commitment, not Jesus but they're following through on that commitment to this supposed God in their life. If it's not the beast, they die. He will not put up with, your worship will only be of me. The beast is demanding that. He is now going to put an end to the great harlot. You don't get to be invited to all things sinful. You are invited to me. That's what's being said. Massive, hateful, evil rising up with a dominant worship. By the way, God's kingdom, let me show you my beauty, my mercy, my love, my graciousness. You will be drawn to me. Satan's worship, you will do it or I'll kill you. Like this is a massive miss, a massive miss. And it says, and the 10 horns they saw, they and the beast 
will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. In other words, there's not going to be a lot of options. There's going to be one option. You worship the beast. Da end. This is becoming Christ versus Antichrist. This is becoming Jesus versus the beast. And all the other options are removed. By the way, what would God want to start doing with a lot of opportunities for varieties of sin? Maybe we should get rid of those. Now look at how much God's in control. I'll have his own selfishness and pride rise up and start taking out a ton of my enemy. All of it being wiped out, now it comes down to a singular worship, beast or me. And God's like, so let me get this square. You're going to try to compare a created being to the creator of the universe. Good luck. And he lays it out. That's what comes to an end. As the beast tears down this great harlot and tries to say, it's going to be just about me now. It says, for God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purposes. Everybody say his purposes. Right? God's in charge. By being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Everybody say, God's in charge. Even evil against evil, God's in charge. Even the rising up of evil, God's in charge. That seven years is so in hand. God sits over it all. God in charge. And even when the beast starts to make it all about self and tears the great harlot off of him and starts to tear her apart, note all those answers, it's just me now. Even then, God winning in the midst. It says, God has put them all underneath his leadership and his purpose. It says, and the woman that you saw is now the great city. Now we're transitioning symbols. So we were just calling the woman the great harlot. And now we're going to call the woman the great city. The great harlot, well, that was torn down in Revelation 13 under the worship. The worship element torn down by the beast himself. And now we go to the end and we see the city, the world economy, everything else that's functioning with it and how it goes down. This is starting to model the Revelation 16 end. It says, and the woman that you saw is the great city, another way to think of her, that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Now the symbol is shifted. And it says in chapter 18, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. Everybody say another angel. Having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of the sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of the luxurious living. Like, yes, there was this draw and enticement to worship, and more than that, there was all this profiting and benefiting and the luxurious wealth. And think of it as a one world economy and all that's going on. And he's like, just so you know, it's not going to go well. Fallen. Fallen is that city. Babylon's coming down. Babel, by the way, 
is the place in Genesis 10, 11, right? As you see the gathering together and the people try to build a temple high enough to reach to God as if to say, we don't need you. The number one statement of someone running into sin is, God, I don't need you. May we always recognize we need him. May God get all the glory. He ends up saying at the end that these ones are destroyed here by the bowl in the seventh earthquake. And he says, so will Babylon the great be thrown down and be found no more. Babylon the great, destroyed by this great earthquake, destroyed by the thunderous hundred pound hailstones, the city wiped out and all the other cities of the world with it. Economy coming down. The beast was in charge and it ain't going well. God is putting it all down. And in the end, it says that the merchants were weeping and the shipmasters were weeping. It says that the kings were weeping. Everybody who thought they had the plan on how to make their money and survive without God, and they're finding out it doesn't work. Man, I'm just telling you, the simple message of this chapter and a half, really all two chapters, 17 and 18, God is in charge. Everybody just say, God is in charge. Sin does not win. It doesn't matter how soft it looks. Look for the nasty. Look for the evil. Look for the hurtful in all that's going on. Know this, sin will be put down. And then Christ comes and rules over it all in a huge way for eternity. God is putting things to rest once and for all. And all of God's people said, and this is a passage with a lot of symbolism, but as you start to see how it ties with Revelation 13 and Revelation 16, here's what we get. God knows exactly what he's doing. God has these seven years in hand and as it comes to a close, he is over all. Everybody just say, you're over all. Everybody just say, you're king. That worship is what we're called to. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, let's pray. 